you. Uh, if you're looking for a place to uh, dwell in the scriptures, Deuteronomy 32 is a wonderful place to go. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. As rain drops on the tender herb, and as showers on the grass, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is our rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Let's pray together. Our Lord, what a wonderful blessing it is that we have a God who does all things well. You are a God of truth with no injustice. You are righteous. You always do the exactly right thing in every issue at every moment. You are upright. You are our rock. You do not change. You can be trusted. You are that foundation for us that enables us in this treacherous, fallen world that is in so much upheaval, we are clinging to the rock. And we are so grateful for that stability, for that reality, that you are not just the rock, but you are good in all that you do. We ask that today, in this time that we're meeting together, you will draw us into your presence such that we not only authentically worship you, but that we grow in our understanding of what you are like and what you do. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading where we closed with last week because it's all one large passage. I'm going to begin in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, 
but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence." which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. As the teaching has gone on, and as we've noted earlier, uh, as Barnabas, and yes, we can have this discussion later, Barnabas is the author of Hebrews. As Barnabas is taught them. He's been teaching them, rebuking them, teaching them, rebuking them, teaching them, rebuking them, because they need a rebuke. That will lead them to repentance. That will lead them to repentance. These are a people who, when Barnabas and his nephew Mark went to North Africa, and they started these churches in North Africa, which was part of the Roman Empire, they started these churches. They principally, they would do, just as Barnabas had done in, this, in association with Paul formerly when they would go into a new town or city. The very first place they went was the synagogue. Why would they go to the synagogue? Well, because there were Jews there, and they were Jews. They want to win the Jews to Christ, but also around the outside edge of the congregation in the synagogue would be the Gentiles who were called God-fearers. And so they were actually reaching a combined audience of Jews and Gentiles who were seeking out already the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the authentic God. They were sick to death and done with the pagan gods. They were there because they wanted to worship and serve the true God. 
And so they would go to those places. Every time they went to a new city, they would go to the synagogue, and that would be the beginning. Then it would reach out from there. And so when Barnabas and Mark went to North Africa, they followed that same format. And most of the people that apparently embraced the gospel in their ministry were Jewish people who had heard about Jesus, but they didn't have any immediate testimony about him until Barnabas and Mark came, brought them the gospel. They embraced it heartily. There was a massive turning in many of those communities. There was a large turning to Jesus of Nazareth as God the Son become flesh. A brother earlier read to us the Apostles' Creed, which is a great summary of the reality that is Christianity. The description in that We believe in God the Father, make of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. Crucified, dead, buried, raised from the dead. He is our Redeemer. And so they embrace that reality, which is reflected in both the Old and the New Testaments. The Trinity is easy to find in the Old Testament as well as the New. They embraced that, they hardly embraced, and even when Barnabas was with them, they were experiencing persecution, they were experiencing opposition in the passage that I read. Barnabas says, you even endured with me when I was in chains. So there was opposition against them, but they were steadfast in their loyalty to the Messiah, the Redeemer God the message of which they were exposed to, they, they embraced God, and he embraced them back. And I may have that backwards. <laughs> he embraced them, and they embraced him back. And so here he is citing these things to them, and he also has been showing them the Judaism that came down from Mount Sinai. There was nothing wrong with the law. The problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with the hearers of the law. (laughs) The hearers of the law couldn't keep the law. They had all these rituals, all the format. They had the tabernacle, which, as Barnabas has said earlier, the tabernacle was just a uh, scale model of what had been shown to Moses while on Mount Sinai. He saw the true heavenly temple. And God told him when he went with the instructions on how to build the tabernacle and what it should look like and be built. It was a scale model of what he had witnessed in seeing from Mount Sinai, what he had witnessed in heaven. And so, no, nothing wrong with the law, but the law is a diagnostic tool. It tells us what our problem is. The solution to the problem isn't in the law. The solution to the problem is in the Redeemer. And they already, the Jews of Moses' day, already had the redemption message. It was already part of their culture. Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and shall stand on the earth, and though after my flesh worms destroy this body, so from within my flesh I will see God. I will... And here's a fellow two generations or so before Abraham. Abraham, Genesis 15, believed God to do what he knew he could not do, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's the gospel template. 
It's quoted in both Romans and Galatians by the Apostle Paul. Abram had an unsolvable problem. God said, I will solve your unsolvable problem. He and Sarah had been unable to have a child. I will solve your unsolvable problem. <coughs> Step out of your tent, Abraham. If you can count the number of stars, you can count the number of your descendants. You can count the grains of sand on the seashore. You can count the number of your descendants. And Abram believed God to do what he had proven he couldn't do. <coughs> and it was accounted to him for righteousness. <coughs> Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has paid the price for our sins. He took all of the judgment, all of the hell, all of the lake of fire for an eternity that you and I would never be able to finish paying off. He took that for the entire human race on the cross. And then he cried out after six hours or so on that cross, it is finished. It's paid in full. He had paid off the sin debt of the human race. And as I noted last week, what happened at that very moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Suddenly they can see into the holiest of all, the holy of holies. And that should be a death sentence, but it's not because Jesus had paid their sin. And a great number of the priests believed. Well, what we have here in verses 19 through 25 Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up good works. Do this, do this, do this. Build one another up. This is what you need to do. Do this, do this, do this. If you fail to do this. Now let's stop for a minute. Well, no, let me... Read verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's given them that command. He's given that encouraging word, let us do these things. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another. That's, this is what you need to do to restore your walk as individuals and as congregations with the Lord. But if you don't, but if you don't, stop and think about this. What has God the Father done for you?
God the Father, the measure of his love is so high. His mercy is immeasurable. God so loved the world. The world is God's enemy. Left to ourselves, every single member of the human race is God's enemy. Paul lays out these scriptures from the Hebrews, from the Old Testament in the book of Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good. All of our righteousness is ours filthy rags. Left to ourselves, there is no way we can be worthy of mercy. We are at disc- Mercy is undeserved forgiveness. This is the God who loved the world. Those who are by nature disqualified, qualified. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the heir of all things. That's what only begotten means. The heir, the full heir of the estate gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. The Samaritan woman at the well. The man who was crucified beside Jesus who said, we deserve what we're getting. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the God who offered his son on a cross and and not only what the Romans did to Jesus, but God the Father poured out the judgment due to the human race for an eternity in the lake of fire on his son on the cross. The invisible elements of Jesus' pain paid sin's price for us, freeing his Holy Father to forgive us. And he pursues us with that message. He hunts us down. He tracks us down. What if we then say, oh, I don't need that. I gave my son to pay sin's penalty for you. I judged my son on the cross for your sin. Oh, yeah, but I don't need that. I don't need that help to be welcomed by you. I gave my son. My son experienced pain that cannot possibly be measured to rescue you. Will you not accept that rescue? Oh, I don't need that rescue. The same God who so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, also loves his son and reveres his son's willing willingness to go to the cross and bear sin's penalty for us. You have just poked the holy God right in the eye. As if You can get away with it? No. You have done the most wicked thing a human being could possibly do. You rejected the mercy 
I made possible for you through this unimaginable gift. What do you think that God, who loves his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that much is going to do when you disregard what he did for you on the cross? You ain't seen, you ain't seen wrath like you're going to see. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, where can I go? There is nowhere else to go. And if I, as a follower of Jesus, now am turning my back on him and going away because I'm not willing to pay the price of being loyal to him when he already paid sin's price for me and is loyal to me, to me on the cross, if I'm not willing to be loyal to him, God takes personal offense at that. You have set yourself up for judgment. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There is no avenue for, to find redemption. It's Jesus or nothing. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which, shall, which will devour the adversaries. You can expect judgment. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If you commit a murder and they've got at least two witnesses to say that, by the way, in the law of Moses, it wasn't just one, it wasn't just you and the accuser. No, there had to be at least two accusers better than that, three or more. But if you died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? You murder a person. You can be condemned, you can be stoned to death. Under the book of Leviticus, the law of Moses, that's the outcome. That's a fallen human being that you just murdered. That's a fallen human being that you just murdered. But what if you essentially do the same thing to the sinless Son of God by your choice? by your defiance of God's offer of mercy, of how much worse punishment do you suppose he, will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace, trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant, by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. You don't want to face God as your judge in the sense of a condemning judge. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
You don't want to be a rejecter. You don't want to be someone who turns his back on the God whose redemptive promise you had already allowed to embrace you. Don't be a disloyal follower of Jesus. God will address the issue. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, after you were illuminated, after you were illuminated, after you received the light, what did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You received the light. You received the illumination. You, you embraced it and allowed it to embrace you back. You walked loyally. You walked loyally. You walked loyally. loyally. After you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. These are people that have a history of loyalty to Jesus. Don't <clears throat> abandon the testimony you've already established. <coughs> Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, <coughs> you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. People mocked you, they reproached you, they criticized you, And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, you actually deliberately, publicly walked up beside those who were being mocked, who were being reproached, and you said, I'm with him. I'm with her. You had publicly taken that stand with them and restarted receiving the reproach and the tribulation yourself. You became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. You came and served me while I was in chains, while I was in a dungeon. You publicly came out when you came to the dungeon to bring me resources, to bring me food, to bring me clothing, to bring me comfort. You were taking a public stand. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. You took financial loss knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know who I'm stealing this from. <laughs> There's a payday someday. There's a payday someday. The day is coming. When we will stand, all those who are authentic followers of the Lord Jesus, is called the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It is not a judgment for punishment. It is a judgment for rewards granted to authentic redeemed persons. And he will pass out rewards. He will, our kingdom experience, our eternal kingdom experience will be enhanced according to the measure of our present loyalty. So you can invest now in that coming kingdom by your loyalty and obedience and trust here. And you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is a judgment for rewards, and he will pour out, you will be shocked. Every one of us will be shocked. Number one, we don't even know what kingdom glory looks like. 
the best this world has to offer is, frankly, we will be <laughs> laughing about it in the kingdom to come. Oh, we really thought that was cool at the time. <laughs> Look at what we've got. We're going to be overwhelmed. with the And God is so eager to pour out additional, above the re- basic redemption plan, he wants to pour out kingdom glory on us. And the measure by which we are loyal in our walk with him here is the measure by which he will be able to enhance our kingdom glory then. And the, the, the recipients of this letter knew that, followed through on that, took a public stand with Barnabas and others who were being assaulted because of their loyalty to Jesus. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Don't cast away your trust, your incessant trust. What do I do? How do I keep my trust level up? Daily, daily, daily feeding your soul and spirit in God's Word. That's how you do it. You need to feed your soul. You need to feed your spirit with God's promises, with God's viewpoint. You need to sit down and get your soul fed. That's how you keep your energy level up in your walk with our Lord in this hostile environment. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. You know, frankly, let me express this personal preference. It's not what God shows. Lord, I sure would love it if the Christian life were a sprint. (laughs) But no, it's a marathon. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. And you have to set your pace. And even when you start getting that pain in your side, even when your lungs start crying out for more oxygen, keep the pace up. Keep the pace up. You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. There is a trophy at the end, at the finish line. I love the fact that God never, in His Word, never minimizes our troubles. He never minimizes our pain. He never, he never says, oh, just get over it. No, He never does that. Instead, He runs the race with us. He's there beside us, putting His arm putting his hand on the small of our back, helping us stay in the race. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And here is from the Hebrew Scriptures, one of those promises cited. For yet a little while, and he, God, who is coming will come and will not tarry. He will not be late. He will come at exactly the right moment. And I know, I know, I know. What do we pray? Your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Lord, could we get this kingdom come? (laughs) Okay, but we're running a long race. We're running a marathon. We want the finish line. 
when the finish line comes, when the kingdom comes, none of us will be dissatisfied with the terms of its coming. We will all be say, be saying, oh yeah, it was worth the race. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. He won't be late. Now the just shall live by faith. What is the principle by which we're walking? Faith. You know, everybody on the planet walks by faith. The issue isn't whether you will walk by faith. The issue is what, what will your faith be in? Everybody on the planet has bought into a set of promises from somebody or other. I would suggest both to myself and to you, how about if we believe the promises from the true and living God? <laughs> Instead of all these false religions, all these false promises. And by the way, every mode of life found on the planet Earth is a religion. There's only one true religion, and that's what God has given to us through his prophets and apostles. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's not only his mode of existence, it is the form of his, ex it is the form of his existence. The just shall live, shall live, shall step into kingdom reward by faith. He lives day to day, today, today, by faith, but also... We will live. We will be rewarded because of that faith. But if anyone draws back, if anybody says, okay, I'm going to sit down here beside the track and rest for a while or just walk away from the race, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. By the way, it's not a sin to be tested. It's not a sin to be tempted to step away from the race. Anybody who's run a race will tell you <laughs> the temptation is always there. It's not a fault. It's a reality, especially since we are fallen people in a fallen world. Being tested is not a sin. It's what you do with the test. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, to destruction. We don't sit down at the side of the track. But of those who believe, who continue to trust, continue to trust, have faith. The word translated believe is exactly the same word that is translated faith earlier. But those who have faith to the saving of the soul. Now we, in our 20th century English, use the word soul as that innate, that non-material person that is within us. But the word translated soul, which is the Greek word psuche, meant that in the Greek language, but in certain contexts, contexts, and I would suggest this is one of them, in certain contexts it meant your life experience. Your soul was your life experience. And so we will, we will, but we are those who believe to the saving of our life experience. When you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you want to be able to look back and say, okay, my earthly walk, my life experience in that hostile environment 
Was it a test? Yes, it was a test. It was a test. It was a test. But it was worth it because now I'm stepping, my life experience is being saved, so to speak, by the kingdom glory into which I am stepping. And we will be able to say, yeah, it was worth the pain in my side. It was worth the lung pain. It was worth the tedious nature of what happened to me. But it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, to the loss of all what we could have received, but of those who believe, have faith, continue to walk by faith to the deliverance of our life experience. We will step into kingdom glory. Let's give praise to our God that he doesn't minimize our testing. He completely acknowledges it, but he also says, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Our Lord, you have asked us, in a sense, to walk on water. Just as Peter, who saw you walking towards their boat, walking on the water, Lord, if it is possible, you can get me to, you can make me do this. And he stepped out of the boat. You granted him that position, that permission. You sustained him. He kept his eyes on you, kept his eyes on you, walked on the water, walked on the water. And then suddenly he's got distracted by the wind and the waves. And he took his eyes off of you and he started to sink. And he said, save me, Lord. And you physically rescued him from drowning and brought him into the boat with you. Our Lord, in a sense, you have asked us to walk on water, to step out into this dangerous environment. But you also are the one who holds us up. Enable us, we ask, this coming week to keep our eyes on you, to walk by faith unto your glory and our deliverance and our coming kingdom glory. We ask this of you, good shepherd Jesus, true, loyal God and friend. Amen.